Good morning. Our scripture reading this morning is found in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 31. This is our second reading from the book of Genesis in two weeks. It's week two of our In the Beginning sermon series, and the whole series is based on the book of Genesis. And last week we saw how in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and we focused primarily on the first five days of creation, and today we look at the sixth day, we look at how God created humanity in God's own image. And you're welcome to follow along in your pew Bible, in the Bible you brought at home, or on our bulletin. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 31. Then God said, let us... Father, Son, Holy Spirit, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God. He created them male and female. He created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the air and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, Everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. This is the word of the Lord. When Melissa and I found out that she was pregnant with our first child, like many new expecting parents, we were overjoyed. And at some point, my wife wisely looked around and said, we're not ready. She saw the state of our home and she said, we have to get ready for the coming of this baby. She shopped and I assembled. She shopped and I installed. She shopped and I painted. And when the baby came, we realized two things. First, we were not ready. And second, instantaneously, immediately, incredibly, we couldn't help but love this little baby. Before she took her first step, we loved her. Before she spoke her first word, we loved her. And it was really amazing to watch my wife. This little baby put her through the pain and the agony of childbirth. The pregnancy literally changed my wife's body, her feet were longer than they were pre-pregnancy. And after the baby was born, the baby didn't talk, she cried. And the baby partied all night and slept all day, yet I could see it all over my wife. She loved this little baby before she knew her name. Violet Sarah Penza, we loved this baby. And the question I was asking was, how does that happen? How is that possible? And what does that tell us about who God is? Violet Sarah Penza was created in our image. 
What made her different from every other child was this one little child was created in our image. And thanks be to God, she looks more like her mama than her papa. But created in our image, and that changed everything. We learned, as many of you have learned, that the ones created in your image are different than all the other ones. You feel differently about your kids, your grandkids, your nieces and your nephews, your family, because they were created in your very own image. And, and often, human nature doesn't have too much to tell us about the nature of God, but in this case, human nature does have something to tell us about the nature, the mind, the heart of God. In Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And, and I, I read this story and I see, in the beginning, God is like a new parent. God is creating, God is designing, God is installing and assembling, getting the heavens and the earth ready for the coming of our very first parents, Adam and Eve. And after God gets everything ready on the sixth day, Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27 tell us, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Verse 27, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Did he catch it? Four times in two verses, God created mankind in his own image. We, we see, that, see that phrase four times, in our own image, in his own image. Here's what's interesting. God did not create the sun or the moon in his own image. God did not create the land or the water in his own image. God did not create plants and animals, and, and I'm sorry to offend you, you cat and you dog lovers, not even kittens or puppies, in his own image. God created mankind, only mankind, only you and me in his own image. This is why theologians call the sixth day the climax, the culmination, the crowning point of all of creation because God created human beings in his own image. The only thing on earth that carries the image of God are human beings. The day you were born, God saw his own image. I, I don't know what, what, what your mom or your dad saw when they saw you, but God saw his own image. And as I was pondering that thought, Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17 came to mind. I'll, I'll read it to you. Here, here's what, what came to mind, what, what comes to mind, I believe, when, when God saw you the day you were born. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. Rejoice over you with singing. Your heavenly Father was delighting and rejoicing over you with singing when he saw your image. And today, you still carry the image of God. Not even our sin can take away the image of God. When God sees you as you're growing and as you're growing older, God continues to see the image of God. When I, when I looked in the, the mirror this morning, uh, 
but for the record, I had already had one cup of coffee, but I looked in the mirror and I saw my own image and I thought, there's a guy who needs a second cup of coffee. But God saw his own image. And what is the disposition of God toward his own image? Well, Genesis chapter 1 uh, verse 28 tells us that God saw his own image and God blessed them. God blessed them. Human nature has something to tell us about the nature of God. God's disposition toward his own image is to love and to bless. And we are far from perfect people, right? I think we can all agree that there are no perfect people. And in my capacity, your capacity to love and to bless has been suppressed and distorted by sin. You just can't do it perfectly. God can. God's love remains pure, perfect, and true. And here's what Jesus says in the Sermon of the Mount about the disposition of the heart of God the Father. This is Matthew chapter 7, verses 9 through 11. Which of you, if your son or your daughter or, or, or your best friend asks for bread, will give him a stone? And they all say, no one, none of us would ever do that. Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a steak. No one, none of us would ever do that. If you then, who are evil, you then who have been suppressed, uh, distorted, touched by sin, know how to give good gifts to your children, then how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? How do you think God relates to human beings, how do you think God relates to you? See, the reality is our image of God has been shaped by our image of those who are in authority in our lives. There's just so many studies that show the way that you picture God is often the way that you picture parents, grandparents, and bosses, the authority figures in your lives. And as a result, if, if you didn't have the greatest experience growing up or, or you suffered some sort of trauma in your life, you may attribute the image of those who are in authority and the way they treated you to your image of God. God the angry tyrant. God the neglectful, too busy with more important things type of parent. And Jesus says, God is Father, God sees his image in you, God sees you, God delights in you, God sings over you, God's disposition toward you is to love and to bless. You see that? So, so it's going to take Moses all of one chapter to restore your flawed image of yourself and your flawed image of God because you have been created in his very image. So when God saw you this morning, when, when you look in the mirror, what God saw was someone he loves. That's, that's just what I want you to understand today. You might have a hard time loving you. You might have a hard time loving those made in your image or, or specific people in your life, in your world. And when God sees that very person, when God sees you, God sees someone he loves. Let me get a little bit more, um, a little more in your face here. When God sees the person who cut you off on the Merritt Parkway, God sees someone he loves. When, 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 when God sees that person who took the last head of lettuce in the grocery store, God, the, the one you wanted, the one you needed, God sees someone he loves. When God sees your family, when God sees your friends, when God sees your enemies, God sees someone he loves. When you understand your identity, you don't have to go out and define who you are. 
When you understand your identity, your image, your design, you can begin to understand the heart of God toward humanity. And so I just want this truth to draw you back to God this week. I, I want this, this grace, this reality, the heart of God to draw you deeper into his presence this week. Let that perfect love of God cast out any fear you have of approaching the Lord this week. Point number one, in God's image, we have been created, which means we are loved by God more than anything else in all of creation. Someone was showing me a digital picture of a famous painting on their phone. I, I believe it is, it was Mike Bonafini in Coffee Hour, but Mike, you can correct me in Coffee Hour if it wasn't you. But, but I thought it was Mike show, who showed me a digital picture of a famous painting on his phone. It was, it was the image of a picture, and, and, and he or someone else asked me, how much do you think this painting is worth? And it was a farmhouse at dusk. And I thought to myself, how much would I pay for this image, to hang this image on my wall? And, and the reality is I, I wouldn't buy the painting, period. But if I, if I had to, I don't know, I was thinking 100 bucks, 200 bucks. And the person said to me, this painting is selling for $77 million. It is the image of a farmhouse at dusk. I thought to myself first, I should have been a painter. And second, I thought, how could that image have that type of value? We worship God. We, we gather together on a Sunday morning to worship God. Why? Because we ascribe ultimate value and worth to God. You show up here on a Sunday morning because you're saying that the Lord God Almighty is more important than anything else. That he is more significant than anything or anyone else in my life. We ascribe ultimate value. Worth and value to God. That is why we worship God. The old English word for worship is worth-ship. While we are ascribing ultimate value to God, ultimate worth to God, guess who God ascribes ultimate worth and value to among the created order? Among the creatures and the creation here on earth, guess who God ascribes value and worth to above all other things? We ascribe value to him, and he ascribes value and worth to us, to every single human being, because every human being is made in his image. In Genesis chapter 1, God looks upon humans and says, it is very good. The Bible teaches sacredness and reverence for all of humanity. And as postmodern people, perhaps we accept this as a cultural norm as a part of that has been ingrained within civilization. But how did that happen? Jesus was born into a world. 40% of the world's population was enslaved. Women, you were not allowed to testify in the court of law because you were considered lesser beings. The mentally handicapped, the physically disabled, the elderly, the widows, and the orphans were neglected, unprotected, and seen as less than. Aristotle, the brilliant philosopher, taught. And I don't know, he is brilliant in some areas, but not so brilliant in this one. Aristotle taught certain races didn't have the capacity to reason and were by nature slaves. Socrates 
Plato backed him up and added women to the list of those without higher intellectual capacities. For most of civilization, human beings did not have human rights or protections. Civilizations, cultures, and empires treated the poor, the conquered, children, the unborn, the elderly, and the sick without rights and protections. People believe that the image of God in their empire, among their race and their nation, within their gender or their government, was greater than the image of God in others. That in somehow, some way, they were better. They were more than, they had more worth and value than others. And it was into this world Jesus Christ was born. It was into this world Christianity was born. And Jesus said what no one else was saying. See, we take it for granted today, right? Because Christ has influenced our society. But just understand this. What Christ taught was revolutionary. When Christ opened up the scrolls to Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, and quoted Isaiah in Luke chapter 4, he said it was his mission to proclaim good news to thee. We're at the traditional service. So I have people who are, who are mouthing to me. They've been in church for a long time. They're mouthing to me, the people group. Good news to the poor. No one was saying good news to the poor. Only Christ. It was his mission to bind up the brokenhearted, bind up the, those, the, the widows and the orphans, those who were overlooked and neglected by society. It was his mission to set the captives free, the slaves free. That, that kind of talk would get you killed. It was his mission to heal the sick. It was his mission to feed the hungry. It is the Christian doctrine of the image of God and the teachings and the ministry of Jesus Christ that has changed our civilization. As Christians, we stand in direct opposition to the doctrine that we are simply a, a, a jumble of atoms and molecules, that we are only evolved beasts, that we are only apes. No, 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 no. We say, we stand with Moses, we stand with Christ, and we say every human being has been created in the image of God. What has become foundational for society is a biblical truth that we could stand on. It's forced us as Christians to treat people, all people, differently in the image of God. And you can see it throughout our nation's history. When you look at the top 10 hospitals, Google, Google this when you, when, you, when you get home. The, the top 10 hospitals in this nation were founded by Christians. Nine out of 10 were founded by Christians. New York, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna give you an easy one. Well, New York, Presbyterian, founded by Christians. Mayo Clinic, Johns Hopkins, founded by Christians. I can go on and on. St. Luke's and St. Mary's and St. Vincent's. Wherever you find yourself, founded by Christians. Who started the first public schools and universities? Oxford, Harvard, Princeton, founded by Christians. Who led the movement of the abolition of slavery? Harriet Tubman, Frederick Douglass. William Wilberforce, they were all Christians. And who led the women's suffrage movement, the civil rights movement? A Christian minister led the civil rights movement. His name was Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. This is what Dr. Martin Luther King wrote in his sermon, The American Dream. The concept of the image of God is that idea that all men, all people have within that God-injected image. We have an ability to fellowship with God. This gives every human being a uniqueness, a worth that gives dignity. We must not forget this as a nation. 
There are no gradations in the image of God. Since they matter to God, they matter to us. Since they're valued by God, they're valued by us. Since they're loved by God, they're loved by us. And since God says all people are worthy of rights and protections, all people are worthy of rights and protections. You know, this week my soul was singing. Often when I open up my email, it has the opposite effect. But, but this week I opened up my email and it made my soul sing. Do you know why? I received news that the building this church has been working on in Ghana, the Ghana Maternity Ward, a, a, a building, a ward, a ministry that will ensure that pregnant mothers in their weakest, most vulnerable state will get the medical care they need in labor and delivery was completed. Why do we do it? Because they're created in the image of God. Many of you serve on our care team. You serve as deacons. Why do you go out to the homebound and the elderly? They're, they're made in the image of God. Many of us cook with Operation Hope. We volunteer at the food pantry. We purchase and pack thousands of meals every Thanksgiving. Why do we do it? Because they're made in the image of God. They're valuable to God. They're valuable to us. They matter to God. They matter to us. You know the joke? There, there, there's the man who goes to the town hall meeting and he complains that the local residents are all being treated as beasts. And then he goes to his science meeting and he confirms with all those around the table, we're only beasts. As Christians, we say, no, 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 no. We have souls. We're made in the image of God. We're so much more. The ministry of Christ, the doctrine of the image of God forces us to honor the image of God in others. Last brief point. Everybody ready for the last point? Oh, man, that's great. People perked up. They moved. All right, you ready? You need a yawn? Let's go. we got one more point. It's a good point. This is the last brief point. And, and this is very self-explanatory. So, so I, I, I'm just reminding you. I'm not telling you. An image of anything reflects something or someone. You, right? You know that. An image of anything reflects something or someone else. So you were created in the image of God. Who, who are you created to reflect? You're created in the image of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So, so what does that mean? You're meant to mirror, you're meant to reflect who? I want to move on, but I only have one person say it. I know it's obvious, and I know we're in the traditional service. We don't talk, but I like when you talk to me. I'm a people person. So you were created to reflect the image of God. Hallelujah. The clearest image of God, the clearest, the, the clearest image of God is Jesus Christ. We, we hear throughout the New Testament that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. So you know that you're mirroring, that you're reflecting the image of God in your world, in your household, in your offices, wherever God is setting you, when you are reflecting and mirroring the character and the behaviors of none other than Jesus Christ, the Son of God. A few days after our most recent snowstorm, I have to say, I'm happy that we at least got one day of snow. This is year three for my family here, and it, it really hadn't snowed the first two years, so um, it was great. It snowed this winter, and we had that one day, and I remember going into my son's room, he's three years old, and little Benny, I open, I pull up the shades. I'm excited because it's snowing. I'm ready to play with my kids because it's a snow day. I pull up the shades, I flip them up, just like my parents used to do to me, and he's only three, but I was already annoying this kid. He is saying, Daddy, no, it's too bright. Close the shades, it's too bright. 
Well, it was so bright because of the sun reflecting off of the snow. And later that day or later that week, I can't remember if I was having breakfast or, or lunch. I, I think it was lunch. I, I sat down in our dining room, a room that we rarely use, but I use during the winter. Why? Because it's the room that the sun pours into. It's the room that's warmer than any other room, and it's lighter than any other room. And in the winter, it's dark, and so it's nice to be in a light room. Well, this day, as I was sitting in this room, it was lighter than normal because the sun is reflecting off of the snow. And as I sit down, I catch the sun off of the mirror in the dining room right in my eyes. And it's so bright, it's almost blinding. And it got me thinking about our mission to mirror or reflect Jesus Christ to the world. And one of the things I understood is that as long as the lights are out in the room, the mirror is incapable of reflecting light. Mirrors cannot produce their own lights. The, the only way that a mirror can produce any type of light is if you put the mirror in the light. The, the, the mirror needs a source of light in order to reflect the source. Psalm sought to reflect light to the world. Psalm 16, David says, I always place the Lord before me. So, so if you think about David as a mirror and you think about the Lord, David would place himself in the light. Uh, David would place himself in the presence of holiness through worship, through prayer, through fasting, through, donation, through, through devotion to the Lord. And he was able to shine that light. And so if you are serious about living into your identity, which is also your destiny as the image of God, as one created to reflect the glory of God, the character of God to the world, the very personality of Jesus Christ and the concern of Christ to others, then you have to be willing to place yourself in the presence of the Lord. And I see a group of people who are willing. You are willing because you're here today. I know you're willing because you made it out of bed. On this cold morning, you're placing yourself before the Lord. And in his presence, we become more like him. That's how we do it. So I want to encourage you. It's Lent. I want to encourage you to place yourself before the Lord. That might mean as an individual, right? Taking your Lent devotionals, the ones that we've been giving to you to use daily. It might mean joining a small group. Getting into a small group and studying God's word. You're placing your, the Lord before you. It means attending worship. It means serving. Those are all ways that we place the Lord before us and reflect his light to the world. So what does it mean to be made in the image of God? It means God loves people more than anything else in all of creation. It means that God values people more than anything else in all of creation. And it means that all people, you and me, are created to mirror, to reflect God's image to the world. Your identity as God's own image leads you back to the heart of God. Your identity as God's own image gives you a heart for all people. Your identity leads you back into God's purpose for your life. You are created in the image of God, blessed by God, to be a blessing to all of creation. May it be so. And all God's image bearers say together, amen.